you want to talk about how you were feeling the other day? It is really, it's weird to live, like to, I moved back to where I grew up last year and it's been such a trip to experience all the places that I have memories of from growing up, like there's just like an energy there, you know? Like driving past my old high school every morning to take my son to school is wild, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and we went to a restaurant that I used to go to all the time when I was growing up, when I was a teenager to see some people that I haven't seen since I was a teenager. So, um, it's been 20 years or so. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting how time is, you know? Like, it it moves so quickly mm-hmm. in this way that you just don't, you can't really keep track of, you know? just like suddenly it's been 20 years since you since you've seen this person because I still feel like I was just 22 or whatever that was a long time ago Mm -hmm. I did have this realization the other day that kind of like blew my mind a little bit I realized that there's like this feeling or expectation of like being young again we're like feeling young again we reach a point where we almost expect to there's like a point where we expect that there will be some point where we will feel young again and I don't know what I mean by that but in terms of explaining it so (laughs) um where do you think that expectation comes from um maybe the fear of death like when people go through the midlife crisis or whatever, like they're trying, you know, to recapture something. Mm -hmm. Or just trying to make a big change from what they have been doing. You know, if we wanted to be astro-geeking, we could talk about how that's your second Saturn return. You check in with who you are in the world. And if you don't like it, then, you know, you change it, ideally. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're approaching that? My second Saturn return? Or midlife crisis? <sighs> no. I mean, I just feel like I haven't even started my life yet in some ways. Same. Mm-hmm. What about you? I mean, you're younger than me, but do you feel like... Do you remember where your Saturn is? Mm-mm. I feel like my life hasn't started yet I feel like I had a false start for a couple years before COVID hit and like turned my world upside down Mm -hmm. and my last serious relationship and all the realizations I came to on the heels of that like going through trauma therapy getting all my diagnoses at the time and learning so much about myself in the last year or two I totally feel like I haven't started my life yet yeah because I just I just barely figured out who I even am really recently yeah so have I started life as who I am now I don't think so I don't feel like I have I'm still trying to find my footing 
and figure out how to survive under capitalism and navigate queerness and new love. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. Do you want to talk about like what, how it's been for you trying to survive capitalism? It's been hard, as I'm sure it is for a lot of neurodivergent people that have gone through serious bouts of burnout. Yeah. And the recovery process, like trying to bounce back from burnout. Not even bounce back to where you were before burnout, but like establishing a new normal mm-hmm. that's better or more sustainable. Yeah. More within your limitations, more within your abilities. That shit's hard. Like when you realize like, oh, this is overstimulating this I I can't sustain for too long. This type of environment won't work for me for more than a month or two before I lose my fucking mind. Yeah. That's really hard. And I did really well for myself financially. I feel like kind of late in life. I feel like it was late in life. Like my mid twenties is when I started to figure out, oh, I'm good at this. The work environment for this kind of sucks, but if I create a work environment for myself and become an entrepreneur, I could probably get it right. And the longest job I ever held was the one I created for myself. I started my own brand, my own salon. I was on the way to franchise it before COVID happened mm-hmm. and like stopped me dead in my tracks. But that working like that wasn't sustainable. I did very well for myself financially, but I had no work-life balance kind of had no boundaries with my clients. I went from like a normal salon schedule, like Wednesday through Sunday with a decent open and close time to Sunday through Saturday from dark a.m. to dark p.m. or whenever that was because I had a hard time telling my clients no. Like when I would get so booked that they couldn't make an appointment, I would just extend extend my open time or close time to accommodate everyone. So I'd work like 14, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And the money was great, but like I couldn't have gone on like that much longer, which is why I wanted to franchise because then I could just kind of back off and live off of royalties, which would have been really nice. Burnout definitely took its toll when COVID hit and everyone was kind of forced to rest. Some of us were forced to rest. Some people were essential workers and could not rest at all during that time. Yeah. But I was forced to close and stay home and forced to face my relationship and the realities of the abuse that I was experiencing that I didn't realize was abuse at the time. The abuse I put myself through, like not having boundaries. Yeah. And having ADHD, you probably can relate to this. When you have ADHD, you tend to be pretty good at a lot of things. Yeah you tend to be able to figure out a lot of different things and have Mm -hmm. these spurts of like being amazingly productive, getting a skill down, and then like a squirrel. (laughs) Like you just kind of bounce to something else. But at the end of the day, when you really take stock of all of your skills, you have a lot of them. And then you have a lot of ideas, but not necessarily a lot of fuel to like propel you toward any one thing. Yeah. And I've been in that mode for, we're going on year four now. January will be year four of me being in that exact space. I wrote and published a book. I went back to school 
and got a certificate in fucking data science. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a TikTok influencer for a hot minute. I was really building a following until I, God, I wanted to get back into real estate because I've held probably nine different professional licenses under my belt, one of them being being a real estate license in two different states. I thought about getting back into that. I had my insurance license, my series seven for like wealth management. I've done so many things, so many false starts. And now I'm like, Siri's talking to me, why? I'm like, okay, what do I do? The only thing that's for sure so far, when I look at the facts of my life, working for myself. I had the most longevity doing that, but even then I didn't set it up in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. And you know, like the spiraling what ifs, what if that doesn't work out? And what if I fuck up that? Or what if I make a mistake here? Or what if I, what if, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, I'm a pro at that. That was a long rant, sorry. No, I, I'm usually the one talking. So <laughs> I'm glad that you are. Um, do you think that you would ever, um, we've talked about this, I think, but do you think you would ever like just run it, like run a salon and have people who are working for you doing the work and that way you're not the one who's making the appointments and I tried that for a little bit when I first moved back here yeah, and failed miserably, miserably. That was right before, that was right when I moved back to Washington and also right before I got diagnosed with severe depression, severe ADHD, and autism. Mm -hmm. I still thought in my mind, sure, whatever I was doing before, I can just redo it here. And I was still very deep in burnout, not realizing it was burnout yet. Mm. And I tried and instantly failed like in a big way. Do you think that now that you've had some time, it might work? I'm kind of heartbroken by the whole salon industry experience and like where I'm at now, I don't think I could do it again. Yeah. I don't have the energy that I used to have. I don't even present myself the way I used to. I don't put on makeup every day anymore and look cute to like click clack my heels into a salon every day. Mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore. Be under fluorescent light, LED light for hours and hours a day and not fucking lose my mind. I don't think I can do that. I can't mask anymore. Not like that. I wonder if you could run like an uh, like a autistic friendly or just like neurodivergent friendly kind of salon that's like lower lighting or, you know, like softer in the ways that can be softer. That would be more like a spa, super zen, quiet, yoga music. It's the only thing I didn't really try and stick with in the cosmetology field is spa work and facials and that shit's so fucking boring. (laughs) And I say this as someone that did lashes for years. That was my salon. I did lashes, which in comparison, yes, doing lashes is extremely boring too but it's like the droning yoga music and like singing bowls and shit and whisper voices, whisper customer service voice is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Hi, welcome to Zenspa. What can I do? Like, I can't do that. (laughs) Did you work somewhere called Zenspa? (laughs) No, but you know the vibe. (laughs) 
Um, well, I so I wonder if you could create a space that is more not necessarily for you, but also for you. Like the things that might, the things that drive you nuts about something like that might drive other people nuts and they would be drawn to the service that you provide. You know, maybe it's not, maybe it's a spa, but it's not steeped in like white lady spirituality with the like singing bowls and shit like that. That's the shit that gets (laughs) my skin like the white lady guru vibes yeah like what if you just had like this is a space where you can come get your stuff done but it's gonna be quieter and it's not gonna be so bright and when you walk in you might get some tea (laughs) it's another thing i realized about myself this was like pre-burnout recovery don't manage people well at all like if you don't have good work ethic and you just want to do fuck all all day I have no patience at all for that like I'm not a great manager I feel like I can be and I think it's my autism that I'm very direct and my expectation is that well you have you must be like me like you must be willing to like do the job well and do what it takes to make the customer feel good and have a great experience and want to come back. Like, of course, no. Some people don't give a shit. They want, they need a job to pay bills and they'll do whatever once they're hired, but they don't really care about the experience for the client. They don't really care if the client comes back. They don't care about building clientele. Like when I had my other salon, I had so many bookings. I hired four lash artists and they were all fully booked just from my overflow. They didn't have to work to build clientele. I just gave them my clients. And some of them would have like $2,000 days booked and just call, I need to hang out with my boyfriend. He's upset that I've been working so much. So I need to do the house and we can go have brunch together. I'm calling in sick. Turning down a fully booked day, like a one or $2,000 day, like that's your commission take home plus tips just like fuck off with your boyfriend because you've been working too much that's the kind of stuff that i had no patience for at all like anything that would make me look bad or make me look negligent because that's the thing about being a business owner and having staff they could do a horrible job they can treat clients like shit clients can have terrible experiences who gets the bad review that lives online forever Mm -hmm. my brand they can find another job no one no one fucking cares. They can go from job to job to job. But the trail of destruction they can leave when they are bad at their job, the review stays with the business. And going from being like a solo entrepreneur where every review is about me and my brand and my level of service to I had a terrible time. One star. Like I would ball over it and work so I would scramble to fix it and have them change the review, give away free services that I have to do myself and find the time to do. I just, I don't manage people well. I wonder if, um, like employee owned kind of company where everyone has basically a vested interest in the company doing well. And that was my business model. People just don't care. (laughs) Well, maybe you've, 
didn't have the right partners, you know? Maybe you didn't find the people who work like you. Because there are going to be people out there that are way more in line with how you want to run things, you know? Yeah. The thing about the salon industry, though, especially now, is it's so hyper-individualistic. People don't really work as a team. People are in it for themselves. They'll be hired at a salon, see that as an opportunity to build clients, and then take them to their own salon eventually. Usually bigger salon collective type things are used as a stepping stone, which is fine. Like you should aspire to grow beyond your starting point. And as a business owner, like a salon business owner, you kind of have to accept that people are going to start with you, learn, hopefully grow and expand beyond what you can offer. Mm-hmm. But the whole salon experience, like I'm kind of heartbroken over it and I don't really want to revisit it. You don't want to go back to it. Is there a different adjacent thing that you think you could do? I also feel like I I don't, I can't serve people in that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Like making people feel, I want to say making people feel pretty. I don't feel like I can do that anymore because I don't feel pretty anymore. Yeah. I mean, you are pretty. I get what you mean, though. Like, if you've kind of lost the taste for it, it's hard to go back and find that again. Really hard when you have ADHD, for sure. Yeah. Once you're burnt out on it, you're burnt out on it. Kind of doesn't matter what it is, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to data science work, but it's been a struggle to actually find work because every entry-level job, once you have five to eight years experience, and you don't have that and why would any entry-level person have that i have no idea if i had eight years experience like i'm not applying for an entry-level job well in this economy maybe you are because people who have like phds are working at fucking mcdonald's you know like it's just happening it's crazy and i too could work at mcdonald's but i feel like that would be a sensory nightmare. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm in a position to be picky or to judge whatever job is available. I mean, you have some breathing room. When I think about the kind of job that would sustain me and help me establish and maintain independence, it can't be a minimum wage job. No. No shame in a minimum wage job, but if I work 80 hours a week and still can't qualify for an apartment, what is the point? Yeah, take what you can get. Surviving capitalism, baby. All those people who are like, you know, McDonald's is a teenager job. Well, yeah, except it's open during the day, too. And where are teenagers usually? In school. So you still want your freaking Big Mac at lunchtime. So... Yeah, they're going to need people who are older than high school Mm -hmm. to work those jobs. And, you know, I have noticed since the pandemic, like, I didn't go out to eat for a while, but when I started to again, I noticed how much older the workforce at the fast food places got. I noticed that during the recession, like back in 2009, 2010. Oh, yeah. 
Like that was the first time I saw that. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean. That's my friend's dad who is near retirement working at Domino's. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just a shock. I had this, speaking of like work ethic and stuff, I had this realization the other day that um, there are a lot of depictions of like hell or, you know, like purgatory or whatever that are like mid-century 1950s style. And I wonder about that because, you know, like we've, uh, I've been watching Loki with my son and, you know, they have like an auto mat. Do you know what that is? Mm -mm. So in the old days, there used to be these places called auto mats and they were like a cafeteria and, um, it would be like a wall of little like drawers or doors and you would open them and there would be like the food that you wanted, Mm. you know? So you would like put probably like a freaking penny in or whatever and get like a piece of pie. And then you would go sit down and you would eat it. And then, you know, and it, the people who provided the food were kind of behind the scenes, like in, in a space that wasn't like a waitressy situation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was kind of just like the impression was like, it was just there, you know? Um, but like the style of the offices and the, and the clothes and stuff, a lot of it is very mid-century modern. And I wondered about that, like, and you know, maybe I, I, I do overthink things, but I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, when we think about the fifties and that era, like there was so much about work and just like working and things, um, being like streamlined and Mm -hmm. made faster and more efficient in ways that, you know, really doesn't value like the human spirit, you know? And I mean, that can go all the way back to industrialization and stuff like that. But there's some particular like, like soullessness about these depictions of like the, of that era. And I just think that's interesting. Like, is that someone's idea of hell? You know what I mean? Mm. Basically is to live in this, in this world that was, you know, that particular era. Mm -hmm. Cause like in movies, when we see like who the hero is or whatever, the, the values and morals and all that of the hero have really changed over the decades of cinema. In what ways? So when you think about like westerns, for instance, those would be like early on. It would be like the cowboy sheriff, right? He comes he comes along to like save the town from the robbers or whatever, you know? And he's there to like be a tough guy, to be the rugged individualist who's just like, yeah, you know, pistols. Lone Ranger. Yeah, you know, but it's about like protection of like a town or whatever. And um, then, you know, hopping forward to like the 50s and 60s, you know, the hero was kind of like... um, maybe military 
like a soldier who, you know, fought the good fight, you know, um, or like an ad exec who has nice apartment, has, you know, ladies that he can just like beck and call, whatever, to like the 70s when the Vietnam War was going on and suddenly the hero was more the anti-hero. So you see people like Rambo, right? Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it was really about like, Again, the rugged individualist, but he was, like, willing to do what needed to be done. You know, he was willing to get his hands dirty, and he was willing to do, like, the nasty, like, fighting that, you know, that was very far removed from a lot of people's reality because they weren't over there doing that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, You have, like, Taxi Driver and stuff like that. These heroes became anti-heroes, but they were still heroes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving forward, you see, like, with Transformers, the Transformers movies, um, or, like, Harry Potter, you know, the hero is just this average Joe who just is suddenly thrust into this position of, like, suddenly you're the power, you mm-hmm. know? Like, Harry Potter, he's he's the one, right? He's, like, the chosen one. Mm-hmm. But he has all the people, all the people that are backing him up are the people who actually have experience, mm-hmm. who actually know what's going on, and suddenly they're just supposed to, like champion this person who comes from nowhere Mm -hmm. and is is the hero you know so the hero is someone who's just magically chosen Mm -hmm. there's just this moment like a meet cute with their destiny where they're you're a wizard you know and that's everything the doors just open Mm. you know and so the hero is the one who is you know, just this average person who can march into battle because they're backed by all of these people who actually know what they're doing. Like, Harry Potter wouldn't have been able to beat Voldemort all by himself. Like, the Battle of... Like, I don't... As a trans person, I don't even want to talk about it, but... Harry Potter, but, you know, like, the Transformers movies and stuff. It's just, like, average Joe gets to be the hero. Mm Mm-hmm. And moving forward to now, you'll see a lot of heroes. It's it's a turn back towards kind of the anti-hero. You have, like, Deadpool and stuff like that. Venom, you know, they're the guys willing to do the things that other people, you know, deem too dirty and don't want to get their hands dirty, you know, kind of thing. And they have, like, a sharp sense of humor where they're usually sarcastic and smug, you mm-hmm. know. They don't, they're not nice people you know they might be good in their heart but their actions aren't always like nice anyway that was a long thing but it's interesting how you know the the way that the enemy and stuff like that like is depicted in movies like red dawn Mm. (laughs) all of that was like you know the red scare and all that you know moving towards so all of so for a while all of the villains were like the russians or whatever Mm -hmm. and now the villains are usually queer coded which i think is very interesting very interesting but i don't know what do you think 
I think on the topic of like superhero movies and heroes and villains, Wakanda, such a dream. Black Panther, mm. such a dream. Because when you think about the reality of Africa right now, mm-hmm. like specifically what's going on in Congo, which I would, to do it justice, I would need to dedicate like a whole episode to that. But I think of Congo right now and the dream of what Wakanda is as like a fantasy world, like Congo being that one day, Mm. because it's so rich with resources that all these superpowers around the world desperately need because they can't get it from anywhere else. Mm. Like the hot thing right now is cobalt. It's the thing that's in all the smartphones. Cobalt might as well be vibranium. The way people are after it, it might as well be vibranium. And the way Wakanda is so gatekept and like white people are not trusted there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not tr- and it's like be offended if you want to, but you're not tr- you're not a trusted I person mean, here. There are reasons. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like a Native American's not gonna freaking touch a blanket from a white person. <laughs> Hell no. Like, they understand their value. They know what they have. It's fiercely protected. Their people are fiercely protected. And that is just not the reality of pretty much anywhere on the entire continent of Africa, as far as I understand. There's a lot about Africa we don't know. And I think that's by design. Mm -hmm. Being from America, I think it's by design. We don't know hardly anything about Africa. We hardly hear anything about Africa. If you ask your average African-American person, would you ever live in Africa? Would you ever vacation there? I bet most black people would say no. Because in media, all we see are grass huts and swollen belly children that are starving. And flies flies on their faces. Or rich people going on safari. That's all we see in media about Africa. It's It's... It's one of those things where, you know, you don't really think about it. There's just an assumption almost there or just like a placeholder in your head of what something is until you actually like figure it out. It's embarrassing to admit, like, I was kind of, I was kind of old before I realized that Africa has fucking houses and like... (laughs) Like, because that's all, right? (laughs) Like, that's all, but I feel like that's more about a testament to what we see on media. Like, we don't see African neighborhoods with houses that aren't built from mud, you know, we like don't we see don't the skyscrapers see... in the metropolitan areas. We don't, I mean, I wasn't like an adult, but I was definitely like a teenager before I was like, of fucking course they have houses. Like, but that's all we see, you know, like I also was raised when learning about Columbus, you know, sailing the ocean blue in 1492 and all that. Not a rhyme. <laughs> They turned that atrocity into a whole poem. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's really... There's diamonds and oil and, like, every precious metal you can think of in that land. Yet, all we see are, like, 
grass huts. You don't see what the superpowers around the world put those people through to make sure they always have access to Africa's natural resources. Oh, the world. The world news. That's for a different episode. I get heated about Africa, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, man, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. It's hard to have faith in humanity sometimes. And sometimes there are problems here in the States in comparison to what is going on around the world. Not to compare pain, but like, you know, sometimes our problems seem so small. The things that I think about now that don't even feel hyperbolic to think about, like if I change my gender to X on my ID, you know, Am I now on, like, a government database somewhere that can be hacked by someone with ill intentions? That's terrifying. But my older kid already has an ID, and they have an X on theirs. And my first thought was I should change mine so that if anything happens, hopefully we'd be taken to the same place. And I could protect them. That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. And maybe that sounds kind of hyperbolic to some people because they live in places where trans people aren't as under threat. But, you know, and I'm, I'm lucky to live in one of those places, you know, where trans people aren't quite as in danger as they are other places. But in one half of the state. Yeah. It really, and it really only takes one person who decides they don't like you because you're trans and then that's it. So even if you live in an accepting area, you can still have someone who's a freaking nut. Mm-hmm. A zealot who goes after you just because, just because. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality of entire countries in some places around the world. That's their life. Yeah. Not even so much around the world, even just in eastern Washington, I'm sure. Yeah. Just over the pass. I mean, there's all kinds of shit happening to trans people and just queer people in general in the United States, let alone elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when you, when you pass laws like these bathroom laws and stuff, what you're tr- what they're trying to do is make it harder for trans people to go out in public. They're making it harder for trans people to be visible. Like I don't think it's legal to be trans in Florida right now. Like at all. I don't think you can be openly trans in the state of Florida. Literally. It's like illegal. It's so fucked up. Like you are just trying to be yourself you know you're just trying to live your freaking life and here it goes and it's just like why can't we just freaking exist it's just awful and i hear so many people on the right the ones that tend to align with the belief that trans people shouldn't exist non-binary people are invalid like those that kind of regurgitate those kind of narratives they tend to say things like don't 
shove your lifestyle down my throat. Don't shove your transness down my child's throat. And it's like... We don't really have the power to do that. You're literally just existing. Mm -hmm. And yet they're passing laws to make you not exist anymore. But somehow you or shoving your lifestyle down someone's throat just for like trying to pee in the bathroom trying to just find a toilet in peace mm-hmm. I just want to pee in peace and then go about my business not trying to peek at anyone else or anything like that uh, and when you do things like pass bills like don't say gay they're trying to remove the language that has helped us figure out who we are and find other people like us so that we can have a community. Mm-hmm. When you can't use the language anymore, you don't, you don't have the ability to find your community anymore. Yeah. It's just, you know... And the next step in... I'm going to... I'm going to call it as I see it the next step in trying to exterminate a people group is to target the children Yep. and they're making such a big stink about children transitioning yep. transitioning or being just trans adjacent you know mm-hmm. like having a trans parent like you know you can get t- they, they, they take the kids away you know when like they took the indigenous children from North America when they would just like kidnap them from their families and put them in schools where they were residential schools. Yeah. Where they were beaten and, you know, tried to, they, they were forced to be like white basically. They couldn't speak their language. They couldn't speak their language. cut their hair. Yeah. When they got back to their, you know, when they were allowed to visit, like they were so different they couldn't they were cut off from their community they couldn't communicate with them because they didn't have the language and that that's that's what they're trying to do is take away the kids so that they can indoctrinate them to think that being trans is bad and then they gaslight the shit out of the community saying that the lgbtq community is the one doing the indoctrination i think that being visible is a way of I think why it is so scary to these people that trans people are visible is because people see me and they question things you know maybe Mm -hmm. not always Mm -hmm. but they do I don't even have to do anything other than be visibly trans for someone to think about it you know and I don't think that that is a bad thing because Mm -hmm. we have been told to live a certain way you know depending on our genitals for so long like tradition is just like bullying from dead people basically Mm -hmm. like you you being able to like question something and just like whether or not you know you decide like oh maybe I am trans or like nah I'm not you know like or maybe I recognize this in my child or my grandchild and maybe it's not a death sentence. Maybe it's not a ticket to hell in a handbasket. Maybe it's fine. You just see me like living my life, you know, 
like there's this image of like this freaking predatory trans person who's like after little kids and stuff and you just see me in the grocery store doing regular stuff like it's hard to reconcile those images you're not seeing the trans people that the media is fear-mongering about mm-hmm. you're seeing trans people who are just like sheila who works at your job mm-hmm. and she files the reports and she hands out whatever when it's done you know like sheila's just here for the paycheck and then she's gonna go home and she's gonna take her kids to soccer practice and mm-hmm. then you know like she's gonna live her life She's not out here trying to molest children. She's not out here trying to peek at boobies in the freaking locker room. Nobody is going through multiple surgeries, hormone replacement therapy, changing their name, changing their pronouns, changing their entire life, potentially alienating family, friends, anyone who doesn't approve of them living their life no one is going to do that just to peep some boobies 